vengeance. I am the knight. I am... Matt Laswitz, and welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast. Where each week, my co-host Will Nevin and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on the big board. Thus creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. Will, how are you this most festive time of the year? So, I'm trying. I'm trying not to be mad. I'm trying not to be upset that I lost a trivia tonight on a fucking tiebreaker. Uh, on a a hockey tiebreaker of all things, just fucking hockey. Yeah. All right. So how many games do you think Wayne Gretzky played in his 20 year career? 20 year career. Jeez. The base, the, I mean, football season, 16 games, the baseball seasons. 162. Once it's 162. Now I know. I mean, it's, it's, I, I my own head said it was one forty something, but I yeah. um twenty years eighteen hundred eighteen hundred. So we tried to figure out how many hockey games there are in a season to no avail because hockey's terrible, right? I don't I don't care if you like it. It's a terrible, boring sport. I'm not going to watch it. Have never watched it. Never care to watch it. But we kind of fiddled around, farted around, came up with a thousand. Okay, so I was going with a hundred per season, give or take. Wasn't going to do every one, so I knocked it down to eighteen hundred. Yeah, the other team went with fifteen hundred, and turns out the correct answer was fourteen eighty seven. So we we were dead in the water, right? We're not going to get it within thirteen, but still fucking annoying. But again. Being as it is the Christmas season, the holiday season, I'm going to try to not let that weigh on me tonight. My question for you, do you have a favorite holiday song? You know, it's funny. Just talking about this a couple nights ago, diverting into the, you know, other superhero universe. I had just watched the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special on Disney+. Plus. Which, you know, it's James Gunn, so it's 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 needle drops left and right, because he's James Gunn, and that's kind of what he does. So, probably Snoopy's Christmas, you know, Snoopy and the Red Baron. Mm-hmm. Just something about it just gets me. It's, it's Snoopy. I mean, you know, gotta love Peanuts. There, there, there's a couple of others. There's at least one problematic fave, mostly because it uses one really unpleasant word about halfway through the Pogues fairy tale of New York. Uh, and also just for its utter surreality, the little drummer boy peace on earth from Bing Crosby and David Bowie, because that is a combination that somehow shouldn't either exist or work and yet does and does. So th- those are my Christmas mix sort of always got to be on that Christmas mix. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Like the Bare Naked Ladies holiday album. That's Excellent a good one. album. Excellent. Um, I had a guy on Twitter today dropping his all-time 10 favorite Bare Naked Lady songs. Very solid list. Very solid list. I read that list and I agree. Very strong list. I know. Although it's right about the time they came out with that holiday album that things started to fall apart. Stephen Page kind of looked around and thought, 
I think I like cocaine better than I like uh, doing holiday albums and kitty albums. You know, Stephen Page was playing a free concert nearby us a couple summers ago. And Amber and I were talking about going, but it was like 90 degrees out. It's like, it's too damn hot. I, I listened to some of his solo stuff. It's not bad. Uh, I kind of wish the the old gang would have stayed together, though. The right. the modern bare naked lady stuff is just bleh. Yeah, it's it's got no character to it. It's all just kind of generic, just adult contemporary kind of pop. It's just bleh. Was the holiday album after the bare naked ladies or me, bare naked ladies or men, or was that just yeah. sort of okay? Yeah. I, I'm never quite sure when the holiday album came out because I still uh, I, mean, I think it was it was on the top 10. But Bank Job is an all timer for me. Oh, oh, isn't it, though? Oh, and it was on that top 10. Yes, it was. Um, The the only thing that that I think reasonable people could quibble about uh, if I had a million dollars was not there. Old apartment was not there. Alcohol was not there. Yes. Which are some real bangers. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I agree on all three of those fronts. Which I don't think Shoebox was on there either. No, uh, neither was Alternative Girlfriend, which is a personal Ooh, favorite of mine. Yeah. Who knew that you, I, and Dan were all such fucking bare naked ladies fans? Oh, uh, my God, it was my f- freshman or sophomore year of college. Uh, my birthday present from Dan was stunt and weird owls running with scissors <laughs> who the fuck knew get the fuck out yep I man i have i have been a bare naked ladies fan since stunt um, absolutely and man right up until our me our men man just some fucking just great albums yes everyone i mean i won't say there aren't any bad songs but there's very little on there where i'm like skip on the albums even the ones that aren't my favorites are like yeah i can still i can i can listen to this i mean anything that stephen page does is great um robertson eh, um okay here's a here's a weird obscure deep cut and boy we're we're spending some time here but y'all can fast forward a couple minutes if you if you don't feel like this is this is our Christmas gift to each other, okay? There was a short that the Bare Naked Ladies did for Saturday morning like cartoons. It wasn't a cartoon, it was like a live action like little interstitial in between, you know, during commercial breaks. I want to say it was Fox, it might not have been where Pretty sure it was Stephen Page who's dressed up as an alien. And the whole song is about this alien who comes to Earth and is here for peace. And the humans are just terrible because they just look at him. And the it's called the it's the Ballad of Gordon. And I just remember it as the my first exposure to the band because it was this weird interstitial thing and it's surreal. And if you've never seen it, it's on YouTube. 
Oh, it's, it's Ed Robertson who's Gordon because it's been so many years since I've seen it. I was like, I don't remember, but yeah, yeah. If you've never seen it, The Ballad of Gordon by the Bare Naked Ladies, look it up. It's weird. But not not on Gordon. Exactly, exactly. That's why I was like, wait, was this on Gordon? I don't remember it actually being on an album. Like, no, no, it's not. Uh, yeah. for for you fans who aren't hip, uh, Gordon was their first big album. Stunt was the album that contained uh, One Week, which is obviously where all of you normies know Bare Naked Ladies. But the catalog is much deeper and much better than One Week. Uh, you know, amazing to think, like, what if One Week never happens? Where does the band go? What if Stephen Page doesn't get into cocaine? You know, where does the band go? Where does it go if they don't get into these side projects that he hates? Uh, just... So many what ifs with those guys. Yeah. And yeah, the Battle of Gordon, it was Fox and it was 1992, the same year that Gordon was released. Ha uh-huh. So there you go. Man, you, you got into them early. Look at you. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I didn't really get into their albums until, you know, stunt, but I just, I remember when I first heard them and I was like, why does this, sounds so familiar this this sound the voices and you know this was proto internet and i started looking them i was like oh crap they did that thing that thing on fox have you listened to the what is it the the play everywhere for everyone tours no oh those are so easy to find online i think it's i think it's play everywhere for everyone let me you know make what? sure. I honestly think this might all become like a little Patreon bonus clip <laughs> from a certain point because we're, we're going on, we're going on for a while, but I, I don't want to stop. For, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this, th- these are like some of my treasures because it's right at just the pinnacle of what they were, of what they were doing. So it's, it's right after everything to everyone right after Maroon and these are all over the internet. And it's just like, I don't know, 10, 15 different live albums. Okay. You're going to be looking that up too. Yeah. So it's uh, it's play everywhere for everyone. And again, I just Googled it and they've got Rochester, Dallas, Grand Rapids, Toronto. Some of them are double albums. And it's got all of like the the interludes and jokes and just like, it's like you were there. And you can just pop one in and listen to it. It's fucking perfect. It's like you could just, you're just attending the show and having a good time. Well, Merry Christmas to me. (laughs) And Uh, that connects us to where we are going tonight because it is Christmas week or the week leading to Christmas. And so as there are 80 plus years of Batman stories, we're not going to run out of Batman Christmas stories anytime soon. So tonight we are covering three more Batman Christmas stories. And we are starting with the Batman Adventures Holiday Special. This was the Batman Adventures Holiday Special number one, written by Paul Dini, with stories by Bruce Tim. And Ronnie Del Carmen with Dini scripts, pencils by Tim Del Carmen, Glenn Murakami, Kevin Altieri, and Dan Reba. 
inks by Tim Del Carmen, Murakami, Butch Luchik, and Reba. Colors by Tim Del Carmen and Murakami. Letters by Richard Starkings and edited by Darren Vincenzo and Scott Peterson. The cover date is January of 1995. This holiday anthology follows Batman, his allies, and his enemies across the holiday season with stories by many of the artists responsible for the classic style of Batman the Animated Series. For those of you who aren't Patreon backers, we covered the Batman Adventures holiday special adaptation Holiday Nights in one of our first Patreon bonus episodes. But this is the original. This is what inspired that and features a stuff that didn't make the episode, but also is done in the style of classic Batman the Animated Series, not the new Batman Adventures, as Holiday Nights was the first episode of the new Batman Adventures. This is... This is quality. Absolutely. This is really enjoyable. This is beautiful. And it's what's cool is that each of these guys who drew one of these stories, Tim, Del Carmen, Murakami, Altieri, Reba, were all involved in the production of the cartoon. And so their styles are all absolutely there, but each one is a little bit different. I mean, Tim's is very much the 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 standard. And the the second story from Del Carmen is also similar. But you get to the third story, to White Christmas, and that has a little bit more... Murakami has a little bit more of a, a Mignola-y sort of vibe to it, which makes sense because it's a Freeze story and Freeze's armor is a design by Mignola. I'm going to say this for Murakami's colors on What Are You Doing New Year's Eve? I did not think they worked for me. It was all just a little too, a little too drab, a little too muddy. I, I would want to have like sharper blues, I think. But th- the weird thing with something like this, when you're adapting, I think in my mind, anything animated to a comic book, any deviation from the original style is just going to be immediately jarring. At least it is to me. And I think maybe this is just generally not not looking at the colors, the what are you doing New Year's Eve got farthest away from that animated series style. And that's not to say that it's not it's not good work. It's just not what my brain wants. And it's probably an unfair standard that only applies. Well, I guess to probably almost any licensed adaptation, but especially an animated licensed adaptation. God knows you're doing a Star Wars book and they can't quite pull off, you know, Mark Hamill. And that that doesn't work right either. I'll see what you're saying. I mean, that one feels more inspired by than an adaptation of. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Jim Gordon looks a little bit off. Batman looks. It reminds me almost of Kevin Nolan. But some of the faces in general aren't quite as much as as 
on model as the other three stories are four stories when you factor in the uh the epilogue so if you are familiar with the holiday nights episode of batman the animated series and we're going to talk about the whole book even though we've already talked about that on the the patreon because many of you aren't patreon backers and you should be because it's christmas and give us a christmas gift fucking freeloaders get off your asses that episode adapts the first, second, fourth, and the epilogue. It specifically actively skips over the third, which I think will save that one for last because it's honestly, I think, my favorite of the bunch, too. That in the epilogue, yeah. Yes. They, they skip that one, by the way, because since this was in the new Batman adventures run, they had redesigned freeze and the redesign and the changes to freeze made this not work at that point in the series. Oh, okay. Because that was when he became the the freeze. Who was just the head in the jar. Mm, I don't know anything about that. And I don't think I like it. His body, the, the basically the cryonics, his, his brain was immortal. His, his, but his body was starting to deteriorate, so he became a cyborg, basically, head on robot body. Dick Nixon, got it. Yeah, yeah, and and the oh. head, headless body of Agnew. <laughs> There's is an episode of Batman Beyond that follows up with that from very early in the series that we will get to someday, but. What we get here are four main stories plus a one-page prologue as well, I suppose. But that's literally just one page. And But then we get the first story, which is a Batgirl story. And each of these, what's fun is each of these stories are dated. So you're actually following the month as it progresses with the prologue on the first and jolly old St. Nicholas the Batgirl story on the third. And this is the Deanie and Tim. This is Babs shopping at Mayfield's department store and running into the middle of what is possibly the most hilarious undercover sting operation of all time with Harvey Bullock as Santa and Montoya as his elf. And Bullock just not getting it. You're not the real Sandy Close. Sure I am. Want to see my gun? Bullock, Bullock does not get it. But you also get a really sweet scene where the little girl comes to ask Santa for something. Oh, yeah. Her dad, Bullock, sent him up the river. And he winds up giving her money so she can give go and get her dad a present. It shows Bullock has heart, which I like. Uh, as long as it's not a file, kid. Yep. <laughs> that was one of those jokes that, again, the kiddos aren't going to get, but, you know, everybody else, it's nice. Right. And it's not trying too hard to be that. No, no, just a, just a clever, small little thing. Cute. Yes. And then they're there because people have been, someone has been robbing department stores and they haven't been able to figure out who it is. And oh, guess what? It's Clayface. He's been 
breaking himself down into numerous urchins and then all of them sort of merging together. And when we get this discovery, A, you get a pretty funny bit of Babs trying to change into her Batgirl costume in a changing room, like stepping on pins and it not being quite the right size. And to Dini's credit, it never gets cheesecakey because it would have been very easy to make, oh, heroin changing into her costume really cheesecakey. Hey, 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 come on. Wait a minute. This is not Zatanna here. He he has some restraint. <laughs> I, I, and this is, I'm talking about the art. Dini, I'm sure Dini had his own whatever going on there. But you also get a gorgeous splash as Clayface is about to take out Bullock and Montoya of Babs just swinging, like diving feet first into Clayface. And it's just a big, great splash. Although the sound effect of splooge is a bit much. Sploosh. This is this one, I think, more than no, I think these are again, three of the four are very funny. They're they're light. Because you get at the end, you know, they've got Clayface, he's gotten he wet. And Barbara, shoot the Santa. And, and Bullock just looks up and talking, you wouldn't. Or it's like, oh no, it's the, the electrified Santa to, to f- shock Clayface since electricity is one of animated Clayface's weaknesses. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at this splash, and I know we've we've seen this before with like an, an Archie artist to come on and, and do some work, but it's really a shame we didn't have Batman the animated series crossing over with Archie. That would have been a, a fun, fun read. Yes. Although, have you read six? You've read sixty six Archie, right? No, I have not. Oh, we're gonna have to do that. Uh, w- look, we need more sixty six. Yeah. No. Uh, We've only done the one thing. We got to do more. Yeah. No, I definitely. I have an episode programmed for some point that maybe we'll do early in the new year of 66 crossovers like go like out there with some of these and fucking dc bring back 66 already jesus come on but yeah do it for adam we adam we nobody messes with adam we but yeah i would have liked uh, a batman the animated series archie you know that wouldn't that have made a great animated movie oh although now you're Oh, you can't anymore. You can't do anything in that style and not have Conroy as Batman. Hmm. You mean West? Mm. No, I'm, uh, I I mean, uh, in the anime, if you did an animated series. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, if we're 66, you also can't do it. You can't do 66 without West and you can't do animated series style without Conroy. Uh we've given ourselves a sad yeah Uh, the the second of the stories is uh the harley and the ivy and this one is a pretty simple concept harley and ivy are bored around the holidays so ivy gets on the mind control lipstick puts the whammy on bruce wayne and they go on a shopping spree it's uh it's deanie at his most deanie yes it's not full deanie but it's it's most Deany. It's the most Deany of the stories in here, assuredly. There's one fun page of the, them doing the shopping sprees, this little montage that is adapted 
into a really fun montage in the episode. And that has just the look on Bruce's face as he's fighting the mind control is great. He's just so mad. He is so angry. This one has the weirdest change from comic to cartoon. Because there are two distinct references to Harley being Jewish in this that are both changed in the cartoon for no reason that I could ever understand why. That's uh, just good old-fashioned anti-Semitism, Matt. <laughs> but again, we'll skip the third story for the moment because I want to spend a little more time with that at the end. Uh, then there is What Are You Doing New Year's Eve, which is a, a Joker story. It's Joker trying to kill people on New Year's Eve. This one is notably different from the animated adaptation because there's no Robin in the comic version. And Robin is heavily featured in the animated series version. But again, that was part of the new Batman adventures. It was very much a Batman family cartoon that every ep- nearly every episode has either Batgirl or Nightwing or Robin as well as Batman in it. Can't yeah. just do a just a Batman series. Nobody would be interested in that. It's is a fun story, but yeah, the the art here is a little less on model. It still looks great, but it's not as what you'd expect from Batman the Animated Series. In that final epilogue with Batman and Gordon getting coffee is one of my favorite. Just little bits. And it just shows that these guys are friends. And I like that. I like that a lot. Just a great three-page little story. Yeah. It, it doesn't have a ton of dialogue. It just does its thing. And it gives this real foundation of the relationship between these two these two guys. There's, there's also the idea that Batman can take a minute off. He can stop being Batman to sit down long enough with Gordon for a cup of coffee every year because it's important. And, and I think that that's, that's a powerful message of, of friendship, of tradition, of a higher meaning in what he does. And in a contrast to or complement to one of the other stories we'll be doing tonight. Uh, uh, don't get me started on that before we get to it. Lord of mighty. The final story, the one that was not adapted is white Christmas. White Christmas is a Mr. Freeze story. And I, I talk about these moments There are Batman moments, there are moments in comics that have stuck with me since I first read them, when they first came out. And this, the end of White Christmas, is one of those. Because this is Freeze breaks out of Arkham on Christmas Eve for reasons that are not apparent, but he's been sullen because apparently it's not there's going to be no snow on christmas eve and when batman leaves arkham after investigating it's starting to snow 
and he realizes that Freeze has created this snow. And he tracks Freeze down to the Gotham Cemetery. And this, you'd specifically call this out in our uh, bonus episode about Mask of the Phantasm, about the Wayne's grave not being on the manor, but being in the cemetery. And this is the other instance where that is made very clear. Because Batman winds up coincidentally bumping into his parents' grave during the fight with Freeze. Because, you know, that's the way it is. But in the end, after Batman has, you know, defeated Freeze, he's about to, you know, wallop him. And then he stops. And this is like that moment from the end of Harley's Holiday where he brings Harley the dress. Or the moment where he holds, sits next to Ace on the swings in Justice League Unlimited. Because he doesn't hit Freeze. And I'm going to do a little, you know, reading from the gospel according to the Batman Adventures Holiday special here, because I love this, this dialogue, the last two pages. It's Christmas, so I'll give you one chance to end this. Why'd you do it, Freeze? Tonight of all nights. And Freeze gets up and looks at the grave, which is Nora's grave. We were married ten years ago on a snowy Christmas Eve. Nora loved the snow. I thought it sad that there should be none this year. And I wouldn't want my Nora to be sad tonight. And you see Batman just walking Freeze off with his hand on his shoulder. The humanity of Batman. I'm sure there are people who want their Batman to be just this side of the Punisher. Who want to want a Batman who just pounds on the mentally ill. But it's moments like that that show that Batman has a heart. That Batman has compassion. And those are the moments as few and far between as they can be sometimes that I love. And it's beautifully drawn. And Murakami does a great job on this whole story and those pages. The look on Freeze's face as he reaches out to touch Nora's headstone is heartbreaking. I had gotten the end of this story conflated with i think something from black and white there's isn't there a black and white story where freeze basically breaks out of arkham to give kids a white christmas it's um a little gotham ah that's right it's it's a uh, the little gotham i think january short and so that's i had read this years ago but this is that's what i was expecting in my brain i i was not prepared to deal with this this note on loss it has been a a rough couple of years for relationships and families and adorable adorable little pet possums and it just kind of made me think of of everything that uh, that i've personally lost and uh, this was just a, a touching moment for that. And part of the holidays is loss. 
you know, the, the family members you don't have anymore. And this was a really just kind of short, sweet, personal moment in, uh, in this story. And it's not surprising, you know, continuity issues aside that they didn't tackle this in the animated series. Uh, one, because this has a bit of, a bit of blood. Like you don't often see that in the animated series. And because I think it mentions specifically murder, right? Death, killing somewhere. They, they've danced around that in the series when it came to Nora, but I mean, they could, they would have, tinkered with the dialogue a little but especially with the new batman adventures that was with a couple of exceptions over the edge especially a little softer on those oh actually i'm not because they did over the edge they did uh growing pains and mad love i guess that that they did do some darker episodes but it feel this feels more akin with Batman the animated series than the new Batman adventures. Mm, definitely. I mean, there's a again, there's a handful of the more somber episodes of New Batman Adventures, but New Batman Adventures tended to be bigger. You wouldn't have gotten the creeper episode in Batman the Animated Series. And maybe because it wasn't adapted, it also has a special place in my heart because it remains this perfect comic but i would have killed to hear michael and sarah deliver that final monologue we're gonna tangent one more time michael and sarah star trek connection no clue on sarah was and i have to make sure i am stating the correct classic character he played but you know he was the the voice of freeze throughout the entire series he was kang from day of the dove oh yep and thus also appeared in blood oath the episode of ds9 where the old klingon warriors join up with dax one last time uh the the pitfalls of trying to explain the smooth-headed klingons yeah should have never gone down that road no you just have to sort of leave that one as you know it's it's an effect look look original series didn't even take its own episodes to be canon we don't you can just ignore the ones that you don't like it's fine let's be honest there are like Five good episodes of the original series. Sitting on the Edge of Forever. Of course. Doomsday Machine. Of course. Amok Time. Yeah. Space Seed. Space Seed. I like Squire of Gothos. I don't think it's necessarily great but i think it's it's a fun episode and is the prototype for so many of the other you know every other the enterprise meets a god episode is basically squire of gothos 
and the oh god how can i not remember the the name of the episode or the name of the creature the silicon entity um uh the the horda yes the horda episode that's pretty good yep in tribbles again <laughs> not great but fun fun so i think if we tried really hard i think we could get to like 7 yeah that that's 7 and then there are the ones now, that now are... of course you you do know the connection between uh, Doomsday Machine in the motion picture, right? I think I've heard this, but Vizier was originally going to be somehow connected to whatever created the Doomsday Machine, right? Uh, possibly, but there's a much more direct connection in the final product. Oh, explain. Commodore Matt Decker? Yes! Right! Son yeah. of... Right, because... One of, I will say, there's a novel by Peter David called Vendetta, where the next gen crew encounters a second, even bigger doomsday machine. Right, I'm pretty sure is kind of a, a gag on the second Death Star. <laughs> but they basically discover that the doomsday machine was created in the Delta Quadrant. And was created by a species that had been pretty nearly wiped out and was created to destroy the thing that wiped them out, the Borg. Uh, th that's been a popular fan theory, I know. I mean, that all tracks, makes sense. Yeah. So Peter David wrote this whole, like, 400 page, like, was, was they were considered the next generation giant novels. With you know the the Enterprise encountering this and having to deal with this second bigger Doomsday machine and the questions of do you just let it? It's you know it's the the moral relativism. It's like is it okay to let this thing go and kill all the boar? And, and there's a whole other thing with a, like a member of this species, the last surviving member, yada yada. But it's been years since I read that one. Speaking of the moral question for the Borg, this thing has always haunted me. So, you know, we get best of both worlds, Picard assimilated deals with that trauma. We get to I Borg where he is still struggling with this, but he, at the end, he decides not to commit what amounts to Borg genocide. And then when we get to first contact, He's a raving, screaming madman. You know, we will draw this line here. No further. Yeah, and he's basically willing to fucking, you know, punch Worf in the face. Like, I don't understand that disconnect between Iborg and First Contact. I wish that story had would have been told somewhere. And maybe it was, but it's definitely not on uh, not on the movie. Yeah, I mean, it, there could have been something done to better track Picard's arc or just indicate that, oh, before the Borg wound up attacking Earth, they had wiped out X number of colonies along the way and Picard now feels the weight of that guilt again. Yeah. You could have done something. I mean, it, Patrick Stewart puts in a great performance, but it, it the flaw is in the writing, not the acting. There. Oh, of course. Uh, Patrick Stewart... Aside from Stardust City Rag, which is 
the most lamentable piece of Star Trek media this side of Into Darkness. Uh, aside from Stardust City Rag, he has never turned in a bad job. Yes, he is. He is Picard, and we we love Jean Luc. And it, 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 fans out there, if you're not familiar with Stardust City Rag, it is a loathsome episode in the first season of Picard. Wretched. I just ugh. Ugh. But again, one wonders how much of that is the writing as well. Now, part of that was on Frakes as the director. Mm. You have to tell Patrick Stewart, look, you're obviously having a good time doing this big phony French accent, but these stakes are too serious. You got to reel it in. And also, and, and part of it is the writing too. Jean-Luc Picard should not be able to masquerade anywhere in the galaxy. You know, he is basically Dwight D. Eisenhower of the future. Like, he is a legendary figure in Starfleet. You shouldn't be able to parade around again with a stupid French accent and just try to go undercover in anything. Sorry. We have wandered into a tangent zone yet again, and even if I cut a bunch of this... We're wandering, and <laughs> it's Christmas. Give us our it Christmas. Is, it is Christmas. We 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 don't have a Star Trek podcast. We don't have a Bare Naked Ladies podcast. We we got to talk about this stuff sometime. Uh, anyway, anyway, I think now that we're circling back to it, I believe it's time to put the Batman Adventures Holiday Special on the big board. Yes, indeed. We are fast approaching 200 stories on the big board. As a matter of fact, by the end of the night, we will be two away. So tonight, right now, we have 195 stories on the big board. Number one is Batman Year One, the post-crisis origin of Batman. Down at number 50 is Batman Black and White Volume 3, the most recent Black and White Volume. And coming in at a sexy 69, it's Batman's Le Batman Legends of the Dark Knight special madness. Down at 100 nice. is Ghosts, the next Legends of the Dark Knight Halloween special after that. At 150 is Haunted, the most recent volume of Legends of the Dark Knight, numbers 7 and 8. And all the way down at the bottom, guess what? It's still White Knight. Still terrible. I rank this one pretty high. We have to talk about it in relation to Mad Love, and Mad Love is at 26. Right. And down at 45 is the Batman Adventures annual number one going straight. For its import. I don't know if there's anything that can go above Mad Love for how important it is to the Batman canon. Even if I like this more than I like Mad Love. All right, let's let's go back over the contributions to canon of Mad Love. Let's just bullet point them for me. It is the origin of Harley Quinn. Full stop. That is where that is revealed. That is where that is established. It is hinted at in one line in Harlequinade. And this 
explains Harley's history and her connection to the Joker. Mm. I'm having a flashback of a thought. I'm like, is that ever a story that really needed to be told? I think it is because without knowing the origin, why Harley is the way she is, the way she entered Joker's life allows for the redemptive arc. Mm, it allows for also her breaking free of his abuse. If she went in eyes wide, knowing the Joker is a homicidal maniac and was in it just for the thrills or for the money or for the sadism. Punchline. Right. Exactly. Then she's punchline and you don't want to see her redeemed. You don't want, <laughs> you don't want to see her at all. Yeah. But Harley, because the Joker played on her insecurities, on her empathy, you understand and you feel for Harley. You wouldn't have all of the great Harley Quinn stories if you didn't have that foundational text. I still still just want to say, like, Mad Love reads more like a prequel trilogy than something you really need to experience and understand to appreciate episodes four through six. But I will I will concede the point since that's not the argument we're having tonight. All right. If Mad Love is going to be above holiday special, I I don't want to put it that much above holiday special. I I understand that moment we have in annual number one, but I I think as a whole, this is stronger. This does hit at just like the core of what made the animated series great. Yes. No, this is well above because Adventures Annual One, as good as it is, weakest art story here, which is what are you doing New Year's Eve? is still stronger than is is far stronger than the weakest art story in annual one, which is the Klaus Jansen scarecrow story, which is also more feels inspired by Batman, the animated series than actually in the style of, but this is considerably closer to that. He's still not making it as an English professor. Still. I would be willing to double up Christmas stories and put this as our new 30 above sleigh ride. Oh, that is a personal sacrifice that I appreciate. No argument from me. I understand what that means. Yes. Fits in between 66, the lost episode and sleigh ride. Hey, our second story of the night is the search for Santa Claus. This is Batman Volume 1, number 33. There is actually no known credited writer, but most of the other stories in the issue were written by Bill Finger, so one would assume. Pencils and inks were by Wynne Mortimer. No colorist is credited. Letters by Ira Schnapp. Uh, No editor is credited. And the cover date is February of 1946. Three down-on-their-luck men are recruited by Batman to serve as Santa Claus at charity events. But one of them is being hunted, 
and it may take a Christmas miracle and Batman and Robin to save them. Poor Bill Finger. Yeah. This is one of the better, if not the best, story from the Golden Age that we've read so far. Certainly the story with the most point, like real emotion. I spent way too much time reading the other two stories in this uh, issue. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. And I feel like, I don't know, maybe all the listeners out there have not tried to read, you know, a golden age story, but they read totally different. Uh, you know, the, the last story we, you know, will take up is, uh, you know, almost a hundred pages. And I just flew through that. Right. Just this thing, you just have to sit there and read every panel to get a sense of what the story is. And two, the voices here are not different because it's all just this exposition. So this is just like, reading and thinking and trying to process what's happening. And I I mean, these are fun and light and breezy in tone, but the actual act of reading this book takes time and energy. So this is a fun story. I like how our, our would be bums all have these weird quirky little personalities. One is uh, this actor who's been told that he's too old uh, one is this uh, wrongly uh, hospitalized uh, millionaire, and uh, the other one is just—I don't know—again sad that his uh, his wife is uh, is no longer around, and he was wrongly convicted of a murder. So these guys all are just kind of hanging out and being sad with each other. And Batman comes along and is like, "Hey, you guys want to be Santa Claus?" They all say no until they're all given specific assignments that somehow deal with their trauma. The the one bit that made me kind of chuckle is the sort of, I guess, main bum, uh, Jim Jocelyn, who his three sleazy nephews who had him institutionalized are now trying to hunt him down to kill him so they can keep all the money. They, they said, you know, he was institutionalized. So for a second, all I could think was, Flash forward, this story is 40 years later. He was sent to Arkham. He was never making it out of Arkham. I I just think of the Great White Shark, and it's like, oh, this guy would have spent like two days in Arkham before Croc ate him. Yeah, either either Croc eats you or you wind up eating your own duty in Arkham. it's It's not going well for you. Those who wind up in Arkham who are not criminally insane... It's it's not the, the way I'm glad this was the golden age and this poor old guy was sent to somewhere that was not Arkham. Again, this is a, a Christmas story. This is about these guys finding finding the Christmas spirit, finding a little bit of hope in a world that has taken a crap on them. I mean, I got to say, the actor is the one who's like, yeah, you know. My career's over. It's like, I, I'd kind of be the other two guys and go, yeah, that that sucks. But I was in jail for 30 years for a murder I didn't commit. And my shit heel nephews had me 
institutionalized. I'm sorry that you have to go and get a different job. This is a 12-page Golden Age story. And yeah, the thing is, you also, if you've never read a Golden Age story, they all open with a sort of splash page with one big sort of box that gives you an a synopsis of where this story is going. But after that, you don't do splash pages. These are all six, seven panel pages that are completely full of dialogue and some caption work. It's a lot. And there is no show don't tell. Everything is told. Oh, everything. And I can't fault this story for that because that was the style at the time. It's not like every other story was this elegant, silent thing. But yeah, there's a lot of needless exposition. The guy, the the shitty nephew cold cocking one of the Santas, Got him. Empty the toys out of the pack, Frank, and help me stuff him in. I'll put on the fur coat and Santa mask and drive the sleigh. You two follow in the car. In the next panel, you you didn't need the exposition if the panel work. But also, you don't get the, the transition panels there. Because with 12 pages, you also don't have that much time. But it feels like, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of talking. Could you imagine what it would be like to have been at DC in this period and to be an artist and just say, you know, we could just show that in the panel, right? We don't have to have the words like we could just we could just do that. We don't have to explain what's going on if we can clearly show what's going on. Well, could, could we just do that? Maybe back to your, can we de- try back it? To your drawing board pencil monkey. No. Back to the bullpen with me. Hmm. This has a real like, 40s crime, I mean, the crime story vibe with these three uh, as the, the first nephew, the, the ringleader, wild young spendthrift, is he, as he is described. This has that, that crime story of the 40s, crime does not pay sort of vibe to it. Uh, excuse me, Matt. It's not that crime does not pay. Crime cannot pay. True. That is that is the code. Although, actually, I... Oh, shit. Have I got to correct myself? Yeah, this we is pre-code. pre-code. Yeah. Yeah, this is the 40s. The code doesn't roll in until the early 50s. But still, in the Batman comics, you know, crime wasn't paying in these. This is not EC. I just like how it just it wraps up so nicely in the end. Uh, you know, one one Santa turns to another. Pete, why don't you give me a hand by being my secretary and helping me handle my fortune? Gosh, my break came sooner than I expected. Thanks. As hokey as that is, and it is, this is a Christmas story. And let's be fair, there are at least what? Three networks currently airing two-hour movies, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that are even hokier than that right now. Oh, oh, absolutely. Like, Christmas comes with hokey. That's that's part of the deal. Yeah. Uh, it's when human beings are decent to each other and things maybe work out for a time. Peace on Earth, goodwill to all men and whatnot. Yeah. 
I like, I don't know what, but this one, this one hit me in the, the right place for me just being like, you know, I, I, I could see this story with some fleshing out still sort of working today. Some of the other golden age stuff that we've read, the Catwoman, the but faces my fortune where she goes straight and becomes a beautician, but not really and falls in love with Bruce Wayne. And all. that would take such a major overhaul to make it work today. And Robin, the boy wonder you can't do Robin's. The only reason Robin's origin is still Dick Grayson, circus performer, yada, yada, yada is because it was a story written in the 30s. And you have to hand wave away modern tellings of that story because you know it doesn't work that way. Yeah, Batman cannot have an actual child sidekick. Right. And there's no way, unless Bruce Wayne laid out such major bribes, that this weirdo millionaire could take in an 8-year-old or even a 12-year-old. That that Look. doesn't somebody's got to take the kid might as well just be the millionaire in the town that the circus happened to be in. Yeah. But if you could get this story, I mean, if it were nowadays, it would be Bruce Wayne recruiting these three guys, not Batman. And Batman would have, found some bit of evidence about the nephews. He would have been connected. He would have been looking for the old guy who escaped from the asylum or possibly knew him before he might've been an old friend of the Waynes. And he was institutionalized when Bruce was on his, you know, world tour and the news of his escape made Bruce go, wait, that doesn't sound right. And he starts investigating the nephews, and that's how he gets involved with the whole thing. But it's not that big a lift to get this story to work in a modern context. No, no, you just uh, write up a good Wayne Foundation sort of excuse for why Batman slash Bruce needs three uh, Santa Clauses, and yeah, it absolutely works. And that's part of why I think it worked for me because I the, the structure was very golden age, but the story itself, while not timeless, was at least something that I felt more organic than some of the other stuff we've read from this period. Yeah, the other two stories in this issue are somebody invents a machine that can predict earthquakes and then people who specifically loot after natural and other disasters take advantage of that in a story called the looters. And then in the first uh, uh, story of the issue, we have uh, criminals tricking penguin into pulling jobs so he can be a decoy for them. They're like, Haha, we bet you can't trick the Batman or something by telling him where you're going to be for his crimes. And then like, okay, Batman's occupied now. Let's go steal. It's uh, 
very dumb on the part of the penguin. Yeah, the, the, these stories will someday be covered in episodes that will work with their theme, and I don't think either will wind up as high as the the other as the the Santa story. No, and the the dude in the looters, by the way, absolutely looks like Capone. He's he's designed the jackal with the cigar and everything. He doesn't have the scar, but it's like it's Capone. The art here is in Golden Age comics. There's so much lift that the art has to do. I mean, it does. It it both doesn't have as much to do because it doesn't have to tell as much of the story because there's so much text. But it also has to still be dynamic underneath those giant word balloons. And Wynn Mortimer is is a legend. And I think this looks really solid. I think the old guys all look different. The, The nephews look distinct. But again, you don't have that much time with any of them to develop that much recognition because it's 12 pages. And that's a lot of characters. The thing I worry about with this in the art, this has been so heavily retouched that it feels more like a modern interpretation of the golden age than actual golden age art. I look at this and it reminds me more of you familiar with Tom tomorrow. Yeah. That strip. This, this looks more like that to me than actual Batman comics just because the colors are so sharp. The lines are so sharp. It, it looks great. It just doesn't really feel like authentic art anymore. I, yeah, I'd love to go. There was a series of trades called, I believe the Batman Chronicles that reprinted Batman stories chronologically. So, you know, text 27, 28, ba, 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 until you hit Batman number one and they started alternating the Batman detectives. So they were all released as they came out and they were on not the cheapest of newsprint, but a slightly less crisp page because these, also did the DC archives, which were also on like high gloss paper. I would love to see some of this stuff reprinted on paper that, looked like the paper of the time. So I could get the feel of what this looks like when it's less glossy. I actually had my hands on the Batman Chronicles volume one. Um, We popped into a comic shop. Um, I think that was in Dothan. Yeah. I was just looking at that uh, a couple days ago. I hope I did not miss out on some uh, valuable purchasing opportunity. They're not too hard to come by. They they pop up pretty regularly. I don't have, I have a few of them, but I, there's only so much time and so much money. <laughs> and so Indeed much of it was available in, in other editions and nowadays digitally that it was like, okay, I don't need yet another version of this. <clears throat> Someday I'll own them all anyway. Yeah, no, sure. I'll own plenty of Batman number ones. <laughs> I, I think we're we're good on this front. Well, that means it's time to put Batman number 33, The Search for Santa Claus, on the big board. All right. So, 
So Robin the Boy Wonder is at 170. More important comic, but again, there was also not as much in here where I was like, oh yeah, this convoluted plot involving let's take over the racket starting with the newsboys. Yeah, that's that that that's how you do that. <laughs> we gotta work our way up. I mean, I again, I oh, and one sixty eight right above that is your face is your fortune, Batman Volume One Number Fifteen, that Catwoman story. So, I think we're also we're moving up a little from there, but only a little. I think honestly, until we do some re ranking, I couldn't put this above the first of the Monkey Astronauts, Holy Terror, up at one sixty four. Duh, absolutely. First of first of Eline, bravest of the brave, holy terror. So I think this goes right below holy terror. Sure, above Night of Vengeance, that piece of shit. And our final story of the night is Batman Noel. This is the original graphic novel written and drawn by Leah Bermejo with colors by Barbara Ciardo, letters by Todd Klein, and edited by Mark Chiarello and Camilla Zang. Cover date is November of 2011. In this retelling of A Christmas Carol, Batman is hunting the Joker, and a nobody named Bob is caught in the middle. As Batman is driven deeper into the darkness and forgets more of his humanity, can three visitors to his world help awaken the man in Batman? That summary is more well-written than this book. I don't know if this is Bermejo's first time writing, but it's early. And there's a lot of the writer-artist fallacy in this. There's a Uh, lot of overwriting. This narration blows. It is not good. I struggled through the whole book trying to figure out who the narrator was and whether it was uh, whether they were reliable. And I thought by the end I had it figured out and I swerved quickly away from that to some other idea. And then, of course, it landed on exactly who I thought it was. It's just. It's not good. It's it's a beautiful book. Oh, it's, it's absolutely magnificent art. But it's barely more held together than Bermijo's most recent thing, Dear Detective, which was just a bunch of pinups, which I, I think that's 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 what he wants to do. He wants to just have beautiful, beautiful art and he needs to have somebody stronger with the writing to help him implement his vision. It's this is not a good riff on a Christmas Carol. It's not a good riff on Batman. I would have had more fun just looking at, you know, another 80 page pinup book. This was bleh. I had serious issues with this take on Batman. Batman at his lowest is not going to put a child in the Joker's crosshairs. No. 
especially in a comic that is regularly referencing him having lost Robin, whether it's dead Jason or Dick, who has just sort of left him because he can't deal with him anymore. Batman is not going to put a child in that level of harm or is going to be, you know, this maniacal, I'm going to scare him straight. The first instance where this book really goes wrong, aside from taking 30 pages to really get into what it was doing, Robin, whether it's Jason or Dick, Robin plays the role of Jacob Marley. He is coming to say to Batman, ah, tonight you will be visited by three spirits and whatnot. This should have been a powerful moment in this story and it's given a page. Barely a page. Yeah. There's no dialogue. There's no discussion. It is, oh, Batman saw a ghost. He's going to see three more ghosts. Like, what the what the shit are you doing, right? That is a powerful moment in the Christmas Carol story where, you know, Scrooge sees this former partner. He sees basically the wages of sin what is what is taken or been put upon him and you know he dismisses it he tries to rationalize it he tries to argue against it and you know he says you know whatever whatever you know but it's just brushed off so casually why would you invoke part of batman's one of his most traumatic experiences right if it's jason it's almost the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to him if it's dick it's something that hurt him quite deeply why would you invoke that and then brush it off it doesn't make any sense i understand that this was trying to sort of riff on christmas carol without it being you know the spirits and things so the best thing they could have that Bermejo could have done with that is to have Nightwing show up at the cave and try to talk to Bruce. And then Bruce brushes him off and Dick saying to him, you've screwed up your life. You've screwed up us. Why have you, you've driven me away. These are all the things you have done wrong. I can't be here. And Bruce basically, bah humbug, fine. It still would, it would have worked with what Bermejo was trying to do. And it would have given that moment more weight. Absolutely. And he could have done a really great job with Nightwing and have some more beefcake in this. God, it's stunning. I look at this book and I just can't get over how beautiful so much of the art is here and and you could just turn to any random page and see something great to look at I, I, i'm looking at one right now so we've got uh little tim uh in this story he and the the cratchits are so impoverished that uh, they can't afford a christmas tree so what uh what little tim does is he just, you know, he finds some kind of little leafless plant, basically a stick in a can, and he decorates it with an army man, a broken beer bottle, and 
a beer can that he's cut and it's so precise and just beautiful in the way that this stupid thing, this stupid, sad thing is done. There's so much care and detail and warmth in the art. It just, it breaks your heart that there's not a better story to go with it. The end of this is, is one of these things where it's like, wait, I understand that, it's riffing because I was like, I, I wanted to make sure there's an episode of the new Batman adventures, which is actually an adaptation of a comic, the Batman adventures, the lost years that explains why in the animated universe, Dick left and became Nightwing. And part of the, the story there is that when Bruce is hunting Joker, and he goes after one of the Joker's henchmen and he starts roughing the guy up and it turns out, oh, the guy's kid is in the room. And it winds up, you know, Dick can't, you know, he's like, you, you've you gone too far. Ba, 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 ba. And then flash forward all these years later when Dick is back in Gotham as Nightwing and he winds up finding this guy who after this Bruce offered him a job and got him a job at Wayne Tech as a security guard that was 1998 this is 2011 could it be a coincidence absolutely it's not like it's that weird a beat and you know what? I'm not against riffing on something because that's fine. But it, it's not like this tug at your heartstrings moment is all that original. No. I just I can't get over how good this art is. I mean, look at his designs for the rogues. They're all perfect. Like visually, this might be one of my most favorite two faces. Because it's so realistic. Or I've never seen an artist pull off what that would reasonably look like if someone had perfectly burned half of their face away. The Scarecrow looks great. Joker is perfect. I could see more of this Penguin. It's just so fucking good visually. Let's be fair. The other Bermejo we have on the list is all the way down at 160. That's the Joker graphic novel he did with Azarello. If it were a lesser artist on that book, that sucker would be down in the 190s. Yeah, because Azarello did some bad things uh, in that. But I don't remember looking at that and thinking like, wow, this is just great visually. That, I mean, it's also three years later. Something Weird. Some day th that or this was three years later, excuse me. Ah, Joker, okay. Joker that makes was, more sense. Yeah, Joker came out to tie in with Dark Knight. No, wait, someday, and we can't do it because Batman appears in one of the issues. He did a Lex Luthor art on a Lex Luthor miniseries, I think with Azarello as well. Uh, Luthor, Lex Luthor, Man of Steel, and Batman is in issue three of that series. So someday we'll have to look at that and how it stacks up. But you know, this is. 
absolutely gorgeous. Oh, we're going to have to do Batman and Damned, too, which is Bermejo with the Batawang. Bat dick. Not the same as Dick Bat. Yeah. Totally different thing. His Superman in this. He radi- and that this that might come down to the colors as well. That might be Barbaciardo's colors. But the way Superman radiates warmth. The facial work on Superman is tremendous. The the sort of soft smile, the the way he looks. He's so bright in this dark Gotham is is wonderful and so suited to Superman. Does this cough go anywhere? No, it's it's the uh, the indigestion from A Christmas Carol. But you don't need that here because, again, you're not actually playing with spirits. It's just Batman just seems like he spends most of this book just coughing for no real reason in this story. And like, I'm thinking this whole time, all right, is this, is this Arthur Morgan? Is this Red Dead Redemption? Does Batman have consumption? Like, what's the point here? Just. If they had been able to reference it, you know, in dogs that was slowing him down, that it was pushing him in a certain way, then fine. But no, it's just that sort of, their excuse for Batman to have visions and except he's not having visions. He's not seeing the spirits. He's seeing Catwoman and Superman and Joker who are there. Again, this narration is so bad. And there's so much of it. Oh, you don't need narration when you're riffing on a Christmas carol. Can you think of a story that is more universally known, with the exception of the Bible, than a Christmas carol? The only thing that's probably riffed on more or riffed on at about the same level is It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, but riffed on more, yes, but there's only the one film. Yeah. How many actual A Christmas Carols are there? Uh, well, there's only one, and it stars Alistair Sim. So mm. I don't know, you know. Two. Because one also has some Michael Caine playing off. Michael Caine! Ah, that's, I was, I was going to say that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, so one of the big beats of the Christmas Carol story is... Scrooge coming to terms with the ghost of Christmas future, like his death, a somber, haunting, dramatic moment. Like that's so dramatic to snap Scrooge out of his miserly ways. And here the ghost of Christmas future is Joker. And we get this beautiful two page spread of Joker hauling Batman into a cemetery. And it's beautiful. But again, it comes with three paragraphs of just nonsense narration. Call me cautious, but if it was me and some evil-looking cat shows up out of nowhere, points his finger at a creepy cemetery, and I follow him inside, I'd have to be off my meds. It's like those stupid kids in the horror movies who always open up the 
closed door to look inside like they're not expecting some chainsaw wielding maniac to try and chop them in two no thanks it's going to take one charming spirit of death with a silver tongue to convince me to follow him to the grave not some freaky faceless mute like what the fuck are you doing like you have to know better than anybody else how much effort it took to draw this two-page spread to put so much detail and life into it and you're going to detract from that with just this nonsense what are you doing in the end so to spoil the oh, i see we i mean we've been talking about this as the christmas carol rift uh, but we are and i mentioned it in the introduction that you know this is following bob who has tim who's one of the joker's goons he's a courier and bruce is using him as a stalking horse to get joker and in the end he realizes he was wrong and he gives him a job at wayne and the narrator this whole thing who's telling the story of a christmas carol is bob telling it to his son to tim after he's wound up in a better position you didn't need all the narration for that no and it's like we keep calling it a riff you're you're putting a hat on a hat when you refer to batman in this as scrooge when you're you're so obviously mirroring a christmas carol and scrooge and batman it's it, you, it hat and a hat is the exact way to describe it it's like as long if you know you're doing a Christmas Carol, when you've got Bob and Tim, it's so easy. You could still get the heartfelt moment at the end of Bob with a better life with his son. You could still focus on Bob and Tim as the the vehicle of the story, but the narration just goes on and on. And not only does it refer to Batman as Scrooge, but it also refers to him as Scroogey, which is just fucking irritating. This this needed an editor. I don't know if it had an editor. It needed one. There are credited editors, but I think part of it is the art is so damn good. It was like this thing was going to just... It's his first graphic novel. Let him overwrite it because fortunately the lettering is, is white on so much of that narration. It's not detracting. It's not in big boxes. It's not detracting from a lot of the art. It's off to the side. He was smart enough to leave plenty of space for it. Yeah. And that was, that was a smart decision too, to not put this in boxes. So it's almost like the letterer just looked at this and thought, this is all just kind of bad. I'm going to let the art really just run the show here. And I'm going to take this, this poor guy's words and try to minimize the damage he's doing to his book. Well, I mean, the letterer is Todd Klein who has won. I'm going to look this up. I seriously cannot imagine there's any one person who has won more Eisner awards. Oh, yeah, he has won 17 Eisners for best lettering. <laughs> uh, yeah, he lettered, man knows what he's doing. Yeah, lettered the Sandman. Th this is a guy who, yeah, if it, it's kind of, I kind of wonder what comes to editorial. They're like, oh, okay, 
We don't want to, we want Lee to do what he wants. Let's get Todd Klein to do the letters here. He'll be able to, to work around this. Okay, here is a question for you, though. Yes. When it came to the Batman Legends of the Dark Knight Halloween Special 3, Ghosts, you particularly had the issue that Bruce doesn't go through enough of a transformation in that. That Scrooge is this whole massive sea change in Scrooge. That there, he was just working a little too hard and this made him realize he shouldn't in Ghosts. Here, there is that sea change. But for me, I find the problem is that you have to bend the character of Batman to a point that he almost breaks to fit this narrative. I I will agree with that. And the, the character bends so much that the change at the end is almost not believable. You can't have the Punisher in one night recognize, oh, man, I've been going about this the wrong way. I, I see. I, I have to argue that point because that that's a Christmas carol. Logically, there's no way in one night Scrooge can go from the complete decades long miser asshole he was to I'm as giddy as a schoolboy. I'm as light as an angel. But that's but the that's, power of a Christmas Carol. That is the power of the Christmas Carol, but that's the Scrooge character, right? To, to me, the, the narrative doesn't work with any other character. Okay. Um, it's, it's an idiosyncratic defense that I'm trying to reconcile of both a Christmas Carol and, I don't know, an attack on this. But I just, th- this Batman is too dark and the redemption doesn't feel genuine it doesn't seem like he does enough you almost want his scrooge moment to be i'm gonna give up being batman <laughs> like it needs to be that drastic um or, a change or if you had had that nightwing moment at the beginning have it end as christmas carol does with scrooge going to his nephew and his nephew's new wife's house, even before going to the Cratchits to sort of reconcile with them, you'd have Bruce go to Dick and you could have had this moment of the ending is Bruce in the manor, not in the cave, but in the manor having Christmas dinner with Dick and Alfred. Yeah. Finding a balance in his life. You have punched the hell up out of this book uh dc editorial i'm out here come and get me noel special edition noel anniversary edition we could uh we could have this ready by uh let's see what 15 years uh four years for that yeah expanded revised now with more of Nightwing's ass. Oh, that's what the people want, Matt. I'm right. But I think we, we've made our point. That means it's time to put Batman Noel on the big board.
this is stunningly beautiful but flawed yes the inverse of something like injustice which is a solid story but visually wretched so once as i was saying 160 is joker which is good looking not as good looking as this and is not just flawed but problematic yeah in places yeah so this goes above that how far can good art redeem a lukewarm story for you that's the question that's that's tough because this is this is really good okay here's my ceiling for this is 144 i know you have problems with it but club of heroes is still jh williams is still really good looking and for whatever problems you have with it morrison's story is considerably better yeah, because it's 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 in the hands of a, a polished writer. One forty-five death in the family does seem like spiritually right for this. In that death of the death in the family is an important Batman story that is terrible. It's completely bonkers and goes in all these weird places and has some weird problematic middle eastern stereotypes but it's still more fun to read than this it is all right here's my spot let me let's see what one new 148 because okay you got 145 is death in the family 146 is luthor you're driving me sane which is more fun so much fun then you got the the three ghosts of Batman at 147, where you've got Bane, Batman, and Batman rubbing himself down with testosterone, and that James Bond riff, which is delightful. 147, one, the current 148 is the Little Red Book, Batman Adventures. It's the Rupert Thorne story. It's fine, but it's really early in that run. They're still finding their feet. Yeah, I like this as the new 148. All right, there we go. 200 stories in, and we're still finding new things, new categories of Batman story. The This truly is one that is magnificent to look at, terrible to read, which I don't think we've had that particular combo to this point. Yeah, I mean, we've had ones that are gorgeous to look at and are okay. We've had ones that are great to read, and oh boy, did you need better art on that. But this might be our first oof. The art here is just stunning, and the story just does nothing for us. But that that's it for this week. A Merry Christmas to one and all, for those who celebrate. If you don't happy other whatever other winter holiday you do celebrate if you don't celebrate any i think a general peace on earth and season's greetings happy festivus it's a festivus for the rest of us next week it's our pre-new year's episode so we're going back to alternate takes on batman with three more elseworld stories Woo! Haven't done Elseworlds in fucking forever. I am jacked. It's been it's been a while.
we'd like to thank our Patreon backers, Dan Grote, June, conduit of outdated joke names, Jen, come on, Josh Wheel, Mrs. Abigail Hartbaum, <laughs> Asimov Fangirl, Tony Thornley, Sam Hopper, John Wickham, Robert Secundus, Bobby Two Bucks, Tim Rooney, and Giorgio Sreccioli for their support. You can follow this podcast, maybe still on Twitter, at Batchat Comics. And the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music slash Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes drop every Thursday. You can support the podcast on Patreon. You get shout-outs, bonus content, pick a story, and even come on the show. If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me on Twitter and probably at some point some other social media platform at MattLaz1013. And I'm at Will Nevin. I'm not giving up Twitter ever. You're going to have to pull it out of my cold, dead hands. But until then, I'm there. But for now, I'm out of here. Good night, Huntsville. And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat roundup of new Bat Books. For my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend Dan Grote and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark. <laughs>